What single act of vehicle maintenance has the biggest impact on the, on the health and longevity of your vehicle? What is, the, what is the single most important act of vehicle maintenance? Oil changes, right? Oil changes. I had to Google that. But yes, oil changes apparently are things, things cars need to have done. No, why do, we, why do we have to change the oil? Right, the engines are, are almost, you know, fabulously designed. Oil is, you know, synthetic oils is an amazing thing, right? But what happens? Why do we have to change the oil in our engines every 20 to 30,000 miles? Just, just kidding. I know, I know. That was an engine joke. Why do we have to change? Well, so I, this I actually did look up on. I think I got it from Reddit, so forgive me if this isn't scientifically specific. But, but there's, there's friction in the engine with the pumping of the pistons. And, and through that friction and that viscosity, uh, no, the heat of the, caused by the friction causes a breakdown in some of the elements there. And, and so it begins to deteriorate and pollute the oil, which then is going to cause the engine's performance to get worse. And eventually, if we don't change our, our engine oil, what's going to happen to the car? Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stall. It's going to become inoperable. So you have to change the oil. Now that's not like, that's not bad cars you have to change the oil on, but good cars you don't. Right, you have to change the oil on a Lamborghini just as much as you have to change the oil on a, whatever's a bad, uh, you know, Volkswagen, sure. All the cars we drive, I guess. You have to change the oil on a Lamborghini just as you have to do on a, so it's not, it's not a, a statement of like, Oh, you're bad and you're good. It's just what happens in, in these conditions, under these conditions, uh, in this operation, things degrade. That's the tendency. That is, just, that is just what happens. And so if you don't change your oil on your journey from where you don't want to be anymore to where you have to be or want to be, you're not going to make it if you don't change your oil. So we're on a spiritual journey. Habakkuk's taking us on a spiritual journey from sorrow, sadness, anger, to joy, strength, and song. From some place we don't want to be to some place we want to be. We're on this spiritual journey. But what happens if we don't change our oil? What happens if we don't get an oil change? We need an oil change just as much as our vehicles do. And that's really what the book of Habakkuk is, is helping us do, is helping us understand what it is to get an oil change and why we need it. Look with me at Habakkuk chapter 1. Just, we're going to be in Habakkuk 3, but I just want to review for you. Habakkuk chapter 1 opens up with, you can see this in Habakkuk 1-2, a series of complaints. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? As we talked about the context of the book of Habakkuk, he's, he's living in a crazy geopolitical moment where three empires are rising and falling and jockeying for position, and none of those empires is little old tiny Judah. And so they're feeling extremely fragile, but the faithful in Judah are feeling even more fragile because Judah, as we've studied this over the last couple of months, Judah has been infected by the worldliness of Israel. And so the faithful in Judah are an even more embattled minority and feeling very, very fragile. And so they're praying. Habakkuk's leading them in prayer, right? He's like a, a pastor figure in the community of Judah. And he's leading them and saying, how long? This is okay to pray, God's people. But let's pray, let, God, how long? till you do something about the wickedness in our community. 
But then when God reveals that his plan to bring justice to Judah is the Babylonian Empire, Habakkuk's response is, really? This is your, this is your best plan as these guys? So look with me in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk 2.1, Habakkuk finishes giving his complaints to God. And he says now in Habakkuk 2.1, I will now take my stand at my watch post, station, station myself on the tower, and look out to see what God will say to me. And then what I will answer concerning my complaints. So now chapter 2 is what God answers Habakkuk. <clears throat> and then chapter 3 is what Habakkuk answers concerning his complaints after he's now heard God's reply. So we were in Habakkuk chapter 2 last week, but now we're in Habakkuk 3 because Habakkuk 3 is Habakkuk's kind of final response to be not just a, not just a record of it, but to be a model to the people that he's serving. To be a model for how to respond to the terrible things happening in the world the vision of God that we get in Scripture, how should we then live? How should we then respond? And that's what Habakkuk 3 is. It's going to be a model for us. Habakkuk is leading us <clears throat> on a journey from anger, sorrow, and fear to joy, strength, and song. How do we get to joy and strength and song? How do we get from fragility to flourishing? And we saw in chapter 1, it starts by making known our request to God, making, making our complaints known to God. But Habakkuk 2 says God has something to make known to us as well. We, we're invited to make all of our full heart known to God, but God has something for us to hear as well. He wants us to hear that He's in His temple. He's in His holy temple. And before His voice, all the world will be silent. And the knowledge of His glory will one day cover the whole earth full. He has some things that He wants us to know. And that brings us now to, to chapter 3, to Habakkuk's response. And his response is a prayer. Chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk. Habakkuk began with, with prayers of complaint, with a focus on what's wrong. But I want you to notice his prayers are different now. His prayers are really... Uh, summed up in verse 2 as being a focus on two things. Habakkuk 3, 2, he says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. I've heard, like, that, that's what he just got done saying in chapter 2, verse 20. If you just look right up there, the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. I've heard the report of you and your work. Chapter 2, verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glories of the Lord. I've heard of this, God. And so now, in the midst of years, revive it. Do it again. That, do again. In the midst of years, make your glories known. And in wrath, remember mercy. God has heard Habakkuk. Now Habakkuk has heard God. And his complaints from chapter 1 after he hears chapter 2 have now become clarity. God, I want who you are and what you do to come and work again. So verses 3 to 8 of this prayer, God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. This is, this is sort of a recapsuling, a remembering of what I've heard that you did, what I've heard that you've done. 
Some of the images, for those of you who are sort of Bible nerds, you might recognize uh, the, the brightness of the light, the flashing, the veiling was power, the mountains. This, this is images from God cutting his covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. And it's meant not just to refer specifically to that because it's in somewhat vague language. It's meant to recall to mind all of the great things that God has done for his people. All the ways that he's come down on the mountains and, and been glorious. So this is, a, this is sort of a recapitulation of what Habakkuk has heard. And this is such, a, such an important thing for us to just reflect on for a moment. As Habakkuk goes into prayer, as he reads his favorite news website, and then he does his devotions, how does he respond to all this? And here's the first thing. Habakkuk, now his prayer is filled up with who God is and what God has done. Because we have more than complaints we have more than complaints. We also have the knowledge of the character of the God as well as a record of the works of the God. We have more than just our complaints. We have the knowledge of God. You know, we, we want to talk about, we want to be a church, we want to be Christian people who are honest and straightforward and, you know, in, in the language of my youth, we keep it real. Right? We keep it real. So, but hang on. Keeping it real means it's okay for us to talk about how we're really doing. Keeping it real means it's okay for us to make our complaints known to God. But, keep it, but keeping it really real means you also have to be honest about how great your God is and about the kind of crazy stuff he does. This is why when you go into Scripture, and as we've done at different times in this church, we've made a, an extended study of all the prayers in Scripture. And what you find in almost every single one, maybe every single one without exception, I can't remember exactly at this moment, but they all begin with a recitation of God's glories and his works. And that, now that's not, that's not to butter God up. God doesn't need buttering up, right? His heart is for us, like Jeremiah's opener was, his heart is for us. God doesn't need to be buttered up, but the prayer, me, needs to be reminded of the kind of... It, Faith makes sense. It makes sense to put my request before this God. I need to be reminded of those things. This is why in some of the common uh, acrostics that we'll, like devices we'll use to help guide our praying, you, you ever go into prayer and you're like, God bless the world. I don't know, what do I say next? So we use some little devices. Uh, uh, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. starts with adoration. Melissa's been uh, using and encouraging us to reflect on one that is rest. And I don't know what they, all three of them are, but the first one is recite God's goodness. Start with remembering who God is and what he has done. Because when we do that, when we remember, like, so when we bring all of our anxieties and all of our distresses to God, in the context of who he is and what he's done, then it changes our requests. Like before I think about how great God is, I've got a very specific list of things that I need God to do for me. But when I think about how great God is, you know what? I, it changes things. It changes it to what Habakkuk does. What does he say again in verse 2? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. And what he's saying there, he's saying, God, do it again. In verses 9 to 15 of this prayer, Habakkuk envisions seeing what God will do just as he has done. He's saying, it looks a lot like what you've done in the past. 
what I want you to do in the future. It looks like what you've done is what I want you to do. And this is, this is one of the most important ideas out of this psalm that we're going to reflect on this morning. That when the truths of who God is and what He's done shape our prayers, what we realize is that who God is and what God does is enough for all the requests that I'm bringing to Him. In fact, it's, I want to say more than enough, it's actually what I need. Right? We all have things in our, in our minds that we've, we're, specific things, God, I want you to do this, do this, and God invites that, and that's all well and good. I'm not saying don't do that. But when we reflect on God and His glories, you know what our prayer changes to? God, do your will. Remember that, remember that journey Jesus takes in the garden where he says, God, I don't want this, I don't want this. But as he reflects on the Father, he ends up saying, just do your will. Your will, your works are going to be better than my will and the works that I want you to do in service of me. And all of a sudden our prayers are going to, are going to change from these very specific uh, resolutions to things that are bothering us to sound a lot more like our Father who, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Psalm 73. Last week we looked at this briefly. It's the psalm that begins with the psalmist saying, uh, my heart almost slipped within me because I looked at the, the prosperity of the wicked. And then he goes on and he reflects on this, but he says, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know how to understand it until I went to your temple, and then I discerned their end. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just sort of dance on the grave of the world. He ends up, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there's nothing I desire besides you. My heart and flesh fail me, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And when he looks at the prosperity of the wicked, he's jealous, he's angry, he's frustrated, he's hurt. But over the course of that psalm, he refocuses on who God is and what God does. And he says, listen, God, you know I'm weak in my inside. You know I'm weak. But when I see you, I'm happy. I've got what I need. And that, that vision changes our prayers. But now look what happens in verses 16 and 17. There's a very strange shift. Up to this point, it's been very kind of, uh, we might say, celebratory. Here's the kind of awesome stuff our God does, and, here's, and He's going to do it again for us. Hallelujah. Well, there's this really important, strange shift. Look at verses 16 and 17. I hear, God, what you do. And my body trembles, and my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. 
So often our stories of faith end at verse 15. God, God did it. He, he brought them down. We win. Our stories of faith, the stories that we maybe promote and, and hold up as examples of faith, end with, uh, and they all lived happily ever after, the end. Right? The king and queen go into the doors of the castle and we wave and fade out, right? What happens next? Well, those of you who are married, you know what happens next, like 20, 30, 40 years. And it gets complicated, right? The end in those kind of stories just means don't ask. What happens next? But this, is, this book is not a fairy tale. This book is, is honest. This book tells the truth. And so I love that Habakkuk finishes this prayer after he says, God, I've seen who you are and I've seen what you do. And you're gonna, you've done it and you're going to do it again. And he says, but wow, I'm still really scared. Right? That's what he's saying. My body trembles. My lips quiver. Rottenness enters my bones. Are prayers and praises only for pain-free people who've resolved all their problems? Sometimes we, we think that. I'm, I'm just not in a good, I don't want, I'm not in a condition to praise God. I'm not in a good place to really talk to Him. Because why? Well, because rottenness has entered my bones and because there's no figs on the tree. Well, hang on. So chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, what Habakkuk does here as a model for us reminds us that the end of pain and the end of problems is not the goal for us. That's not the goal. That is not what needs to happen on our journey into joy. We do not need all of our internal stressors and external stressors resolved before we can have peace and joy. But the joy that Scripture talks about is not, it is not a characteristic of certain personality types. It is not an experience that only certain people can buy or afford or be born into. It is something for all of us exactly wherever it is that we are. What Habakkuk 3, 16 and 17 says to me is that God answers prayers and the world continues to be full of problems. God answers prayers and the world continues to be full of problems. In fact, in this world, in this world that you and I live in, Every single one of our answered prayers is going to produce more things that we're going to have to pray about. Like, let's just take a really sanctified version of this. You know, we prayed for uh, our church. Sarah prayed for our church. Right? So we, what, what are some of the prayers that you have in your heart for, for this church? Whatever they are, let's say, what, you know, 50 of us pray a prayer for our church, and, and all those prayers get answered. And so all of a sudden, all these lost people from wildly different bro broken backgrounds start coming to faith and we're baptizing them and they're growing and they're, they're, they're eager. And what are we getting? What are we getting? We're getting dozens and dozens more situations that we have to pray about. Conflict between your disciples and, and your disciples and you know, people getting into our ministries and causing problems and, and not having been on the journey. Right? So, so many more Wonderful things to pray about, slash problems and pains. 
in answer to a really great, easy, beautiful prayer. So I want you to see this. I'm emphasizing this because Habakkuk's not praying for a world in which he doesn't have to pray. He's not praying for a world uh, where he no longer has to have interaction with God. He wants to be filled with the presence of God. Because who God is and what God does is what we need. Our journey into joy is a journey into life with God. And pain and problems are always part of that path. I love that Habakkuk 3, 16 and 17 is just inserted into the middle of this where we would in other times and maybe in other psalms expect things to just kind of keep going woo and, and, and fade out and everybody claps and goes home happy. But here we go home a little more real. And so in the context of pains and problems, Habakkuk makes his prayers known to God but he's still able to conclude through those pains, through those problems in them, he's still able to conclude with praise. Look with me in verses 18 and 19, how the psalm ends. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Look at verse 17, though. The the context for this, I just think, is extraordinary. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flocks be... We get the idea, Habakkuk, come on. The flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Like, how... That's a lot, right? So Habakkuk can't see anything to rejoice in. All of those things are things that would give you joy, Right? New wine coming in, olive oils to anoint your skin with, flocks and right, all of these things are joyful things. But everywhere he looks outside of him in his life, there's no joy. But when he looks at God, when he looks to God, joy happens to him. Right, we talked about this last week a little bit. It is a property of the glory of God to overflow and to fill. It is a property of God's glory that it fills. So when he looks to God, he gets joy. Joy happens to him. Even though when he looks around him, there's nothing. You know, when Habakkuk looks around, tell me if this this resonates with you. When you look around, when Habakkuk looks around, he finds more than enough of what he needs to be angry, sad, frustrated. Is that that you? You see enough of that stuff? But when Habakkuk looks to God, he finds all he needs for joy, strength, and song. When Habakkuk looks around him, he finds all that he needs for anger, sorrow, fear. That's where all of us are. We want to be somewhere else, though. And to get there, like Habakkuk, we have to look to God to find all that we need for joy and strength and song. Because who God is and what God does, it's enough. 
And so our journey to joy is going to be a journey into life with God. The book of Habakkuk that begins in this extremely frustrated and discouraged place ends with joy and and ends with worship. You know, worship in the Bible and probably in your life as well as mine is not mainly, mostly a response to great times. A lot of times when good times are going on are the times when God's people forget about what God has done and ignore being involved in His work. But rather worship, as we see in Habakkuk, worship is, it can be, it is a response to the truths about God. That's what it's a response to, truths about God, that often it takes really hard times to get us to sincerely reflect on again. And that's what we see here. Now Habakkuk is worshiping, he's focused on God, and so that worship that worship becomes joy. What we get when we, when we turn our attention to who God is, that worship becomes joy. What does joy mean? I don't want to do this with like every word that we encounter in, in Scripture, but, but sometimes there's words that I just, I'm not sure that they mean anything to us anymore. What does joy mean to you? I, I kind of, in my mind, I get visions of like 1990s Nickelodeon, like Ren and Stimpy kind of stuff. Maybe happy, happy, joy, joy. That's where I'm getting that from. But just like, what, what is it? And I think it's actually a really important idea for this moment in our calendar as we approach Thanksgiving because I think what joy is, is extended gratitude. So gratitude, think about what gratitude actually is. We say thanks because we have had an experience where we feel loved and cared for. We feel loved and that love expressed to us in some kind of gift. So we, we have that experience and we say thank you because that's what grat- gratitude is that. Now what is joy? Joy is that experience of gratitude continuing to emerge in all the rest of the stuff. So joy is saying thanks while I go clean up the kitchen and saying thanks while I commute and saying thanks as I get ready for the end of the day. Like that's what joy is, that experience of gratitude emerging. It's living life as if I were loved, as if I were loved and cared for, which is just another way of saying, you know this, uh, living life in the truth. So worship becomes joy, but then joy becomes strength. Verse 19, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. I love this, how joy becomes strength. It reminds me of the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. We can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. Right? That's, that's worship gives you that. I know who the Lord is, and I know what He does. He helps me. And now that I've seen that, I've got confidence to say, I'm not going to be afraid. What are you going to do to me? And so worship becomes joy, becomes strength. It's pictured here in Habakkuk as a, a deer running on the hills. I mean, if you just imagine that for a moment. When's the last time you did some hill running? <laughs> right? So a deer running on the hills is such a beautiful picture of, of sure footing in slippery times. And of what else do you need when you're running hills? You need energy. It's a picture of energy to keep going. Worship becomes joy, that joy becomes strength, and then 
Sarah asked me this morning, do I, do I need to read the last little bit here? And I was like, oh, yes, you have to read it. The last little bit of verse 19, to the choir master with stringed instruments. You may have noticed at the beginning of Habakkuk 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigionoth, uh, which is sort of like Habakkuk turning around and saying, like, you know, all right, boys, it'll be in B and a 3-4 and try to keep up, you know, like, it's a musical designation that the end of the chapter says, that's what this was. You thought this was my response from chapter 2, verse 1 to the words of God. It is. You thought this was my prayer. It is. But, I, but, but actually, I composed a song out of all that. I turned it into a song. Because this song is something to share. One of, my, one of my, I know a lot of different passages here mentioned this morning. But worship becomes joy, it becomes strength, it becomes song. One of my favorite psalms, maybe as I get older, I'm getting older. Uh, this is becoming more of, my, more of a favorite. Those planted in the house of the Lord, they flourish. They still bear fruit in old age and are ever full of sap and green to declare. That's what their strength is for, is to declare something. And look at what they're declaring. The Lord is upright. He's my rock. There's no unrighteousness in Him. Right? Why are they, what are they so excited about? They're so excited about the truths of God, but, they, but those truths have become something in them. They, now they want to, to write praise songs. Why do we write, why we sing praise songs is one thing. Why do we write praise songs? We, because of what God has done, because of who God is, and because we believe that He'll do it again. And we want to invest in that. Right? When you write a praise song, when you stand up and you sing those, you're doing it because of something, but you're also doing it because you believe God will do it again and you want to put your thumb on the scales of God working in people's lives. You want to make a greater investment. You want your friends and family to make a greater investment in the future health and, and flourishing and prosperity of, of the next generation. Everybody's so worried about the next generation. Write some praise songs. Write some praise songs. Sing these truths so that the next generation hears them. Because that's going to take them to joy so much more than a you know, higher standard of living or whatever it is that we get wrapped up in. The book of Habakkuk began with frustrations and doubts. What are you doing, God? And it ends with worship and faith. There's still no figs on the trees. There's still no flocks in the field. But there's joy. And that's what Scripture offers us. Right? That's what Scripture offers us. In this world, you will have, you will have troubles, but you can have something else too. You can have peace. And with all your anxieties that you make known to God in requests through prayer, you can have those anxieties, but you can also have something else. You can have the peace of God that surpasses understanding guard you. You're going to have afflictions, but you can also have the God of all comfort comfort you in your afflictions. You can go through fire and you can go through flood, but you can also have something else in those experiences for the Lord your God will be with you. Because... God is. He is in His holy temple. And God is working. 
The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so, friends, as we wrap up this morning, if that's what God is up to, if that's who God is and that, that's what God is up to, I want, first of all, I want those glories to fill me. I want those glories to fill me. What are you full of? I mean, that's, that's, maybe, that's maybe not the right way to phrase that. What uh, fills you? <laughs> what, what, am, what am I full of? So maybe we, need, uh, maybe we need that oil change after all. And this, this is where Habakkuk is not just leading us on an, a journey of ideas, but also modeling something for us. And we see in chapters 1 and 2, we see uh, him drain out the old oil. Chapter 1, he's saying, what's going on inside me? I'm going to let it out. You know you can do that with your God. What's going on inside you, you can let it out. Chapter 2 says, what's going on out there? Take a good look and let it go. Let it out. Let it go. Now, I like the image of an oil change because it's such an exotic, kind of captivating uh, novel image. But it's a, little bit, uh, it's a little bit weak in that we don't tend to think of used engine oil as being some sort of like horrific substance, right? And so I'd like to add a little bit of horror to this. Uh, I remember exactly where I was and exactly the image on screen the first time uh, I ever saw a parasitical worm being extracted from a person's uh, leg. Uh, I, remember, I remember it just clear as day. And, and while that, the, the several feet of worm were being removed from that leg, I swore an oath before the Lord. <laughs> if there are ever any indications of in parasitical beings in my body, I will take whatever deworming agents I need. <laughs> I will never, ever let that happen to me. Right? Because how many intestinal parasites do you want? Right? Is there an option for zero? How big do you want them to be? Right? I don't want... I, See the previous question. I don't want any. So this is what Habakkuk 1 and 2 are. Right? They're, they're deworming agents. They're saying, look at all the world. What is it that you think you want? What is getting in the way of your experience of God? Get rid of it. What is getting in the way of your experience of joy in Him? What are you doing? This is what Habakkuk is saying. Not what I'm saying. This is what Habakkuk is saying to us. Let go and let it out. What is getting in the way of our experience with God? Somebody want to jump around a little bit? You got to move a little bit. You got to go that way a little bit. Go get him, Russ. There we go. No, not that. You're good. He just woke up. Are we done? Basketball time. So drain it, and then, re and then the second thing in an oil change is refill, right? Refill. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. I want you to notice the, the, the connection here in the language. So Habakkuk 2.14, I want the earth to be filled with the knowledge of my glory, God says. Paul writes to the Ephesians, his prayer for the Ephesian church is that you may be filled with the fullness of God. 
You notice the ellipses up there. How do we get filled with the fullness of God, Paul? Well, this is what he's praying about. He says, I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How do we get filled in the way that God wants us to be filled? We need to know Christ. We need to better get to know Jesus Christ our Lord. To be filled with the fullness of God. Our journey into joy is a journey into Jesus. It's a journey into Jesus with Jesus. Jesus is the one who is in his holy temple. Jesus is the word of God before whom all are silent. Jesus is God filling the earth with the glories of God. Jesus is the one working so that faith makes sense. This is why Paul prays, you just need to get to know Jesus better. I just want you to get to know Jesus better. Now one last practical step in an oil change. What's the one thing that most people forget, guys? Oil plug. You know? The oil plug. <laughs> the oil plug. That's a good word. That's what our closing song is, hopefully. <laughs> what's, the, what's the one step that I'm... You got to drain it. You got to refill it. What else you got to do? You got to change the filter. Right? You got to change the filter. I didn't know this. This was Google. Uh, I was a... But I, I watched, a, as part of my research, I watched a video that uh, talked about the, the, this garage was talking about a car that came in that had probably had a dozen oil changes and they never changed the filter. And they showed that oil filter. And what do you think it looked like? It was completely black. It was, it was like covered in a ganache. I mean, it was, it was gruesome. It's one of the most overlooked things. And so let's just not overlook it for a second. Go back with me to verse 16. Habakkuk 3, I think this is the oil change, the, the filter change here. Habakkuk 3.16, at the very end, he says, Yet I will quietly wait. I will quietly wait. So this is what, what is happening at the end, between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. From the time where Habakkuk sees this vision of God and his glory, and then he writes this prayer in this song. As he's waiting quietly. And this is the filter that we need because for most of us, our instinct to pains and problems is what? Let's talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk, 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 talk. Or there are others of us who are like, ah, too much talking. Let's get to work. Right? Which is because, because we, think that, uh, our, we think that our intelligence and our abilities are probably what most problems and situations need. We have a high regard for our intelligence and our abilities. And so we think that talking, or not talking, but getting things done is what needs to happen. But what Habakkuk, what the Bible is saying is that our real problems are not talking and, and working problems, but they're faith problems. We are not going to get from where we don't want to be to where we really want to be by paths that are wide and easy for us to navigate. We need worship. We need worship. And for two busy people in a too noisy world, that is going to mean quiet and waiting. Quieting undermines our talking. Waiting undermines our action. And you think if Habakkuk had to wait quietly in 3,000 years ago, Middle East, how much more so is this a discipline and a challenge for us? And that's really why I think the filter here, the filter is some time to be quiet. 
Sometimes to remember Jesus and remember that, that we wait for Him to work. So in conclusion, wait and worship. Waiting says, waiting says, we don't have it yet. We don't have it yet. But worship says, what we do have is enough. I'm waiting because we don't have it yet in fullness, but I worship because what we do have in God is enough. The message of the Bible in Scripture, joy is something that every one of us can have. The world says joy is only for some. The Scripture says joy is for all. And it can come to us even in our lives as they are. Because joy doesn't come to us from our lives. Joy comes to us from our God. Joy comes to us from our God. Before we go to singing, before the benediction, let me just encourage you with this. This is sort of a series, a conclusion to our series in the prophets. This is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I never saw this connection until just this week. And I wanted to share it with you because I think it, it's a New Testament version of the entire message of Amos, Micah, and Habakkuk for us today. So this is one of my favorite verses. You've heard me pray this many times. Uh, Paul says to the Thessalonian church, pray for us that the word of the Lord might run and be glorified. Right? He's saying, let's pray that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord fills the earth. So he's praying a version of Habakkuk 2.14. But this is the verse just a few verses later. That's verse 1. Here's verse 5. Pray for us that this happens, but here's, what I want, here's how I want this prayer to be uh, metabolized by you, this congregation here. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct our hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. And may that word run and be glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to turn and to direct our hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ in song, We present ourselves to you, for you are the holy God, and all you do is right. We have seen you in your temple, and we have heard of your works, Lord, and we fear. We know that who you are and what you do is what's best. Lord, every single one of us has a, a variety of situations in our life that are causing us pain and anxiety stress, anger, fear. And we're here this morning because we want to bring those before you. And we want you to shine on them and to shine on us. That even, even in these problems or, or in tomorrow's problems or in the problems and pains we're going to experience next month and next year, yet in all of this, we, we can still know the joy that Habakkuk speaks, speaks of and the strength and even the, the energy and the love necessary to turn and serve others in song.
So Lord, we're here because we believe that you are the only one who can do that kind of work in us. We present ourselves to you and we ask that you would do that work in us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.